0: We need to hear the gospel of our Lord this morning. This is John chapter 20. John writes, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's just, you know, John may want you to know that somebody was faster than the other, that's all. (laughs) He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the, lion, the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, by the way, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet he did not; they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. be to God. Thanks be to God. You all can have a seat. Oh, y'all, welcome to uh, church. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, Happy Easter to all of you. We are thrilled to be able to uh, worship with all of you and celebrate a day like today today. Uh, together. I woke up this morning and was driving in and uh, had the thought, I don't know that God ever made a more beautiful day in northwest Arkansas. What a glorious day to be together, and um, what incredible people to be gathered with. What a glorious reason to be gathered together. Um, Today is the beginning of our feasting season. Today marks what will be for the church, not just one day, not just an Easter Sunday, but 50 days of feasting, our celebration season, actually. Easter is, the church will tell you, in every respect greater than Lent. Lent is a season in which we fast, in which we put things down purposefully with the same kind of authority in us that Jesus had when he put his glory down, when he put himself down. Nobody takes my life from me, Jesus said. I choose to put it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. It's in that same spirit that the church is called to fast, We bury our hallelujahs, so to speak. We put them away so that we can lean into and grapple with the brokenness of the world and ourselves. And we've been doing that in the wilderness, as they say, for the last 40 days. But today we shift and we shift on purpose. And the church has called you to pick up whatever you put down. So if you buried those hallelujahs, church, you better raise them today. We raise them and take them up. Whatever you have fasted and put down in Jesus' name, thanks be to God. But today we take it up the freedom of that spirit with the joy of Jesus in our hearts to celebrate who he is and what he's done. What a gift. We are, most of us, if we're honest, probably, too many of us anyway, better at being sad. (laughs) Saying we're sorry to God, praying sad prayers and singing sad songs. And what I've always appreciated, probably because that's true of me, is that this season is going to say to me, to us, that there is a call to practice hope, practice joy, practice rejoicing, to, to do it as a discipline of the soul, really. So the same kind of fervor, same kind of intensity that we have prayed our prayers of confession and saying our Lord have mercies, today we sing our hallelujahs. We praise him, we celebrate, knowing that it forms us, it shapes us. What a gift. The beauty of, I think, the church calendar is that I recognize that, you know, all of you got up today like every other day. It was a normal day. You put on your Sunday best, like me, um, also my version of an Easter dress, I guess, the church is, and we got ready and we came to church. But in so many respects, it felt like a normal day, you know? What I love about the church, though, is for those of us who have been marking time Keeping step with Jesus entered into the story, as it were. Um, today, we are given by the Spirit a gift, which is to taste something and feel something of whatever it is that Mary felt on this morning. That is the spirit of Easter. Nobody had to encourage Mary to celebrate, or encourage her to feel relieved, or encourage her to give praise and thanksgiving to God. She felt it, it was all there. And that's because she felt the horror of the loss of him. For her, Jesus was gone. And we talked about that. For those of you who were here with us on Good Friday, the invitation of the church, I think the genius of the church really, is to call us to the foot of the cross and say that you're going to put yourself in this story in the same way that Peter, John, and Mary were in the story. And for them, Jesus was dead. And I think that that's really important to do, because I hear it said often, and it's true, you know, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, or yes, the cross, but also Easter. And that's all true. It's powerful. But we have to resist the urge, particularly on this weekend, to rush past the terror of the cross, the loss of it, for them, the finality of it. Because if you don't allow yourself to feel what it would be like if Jesus were taken from you, it's hard to ever really celebrate and rejoice what it would be like to receive him back again. And that is the joy that Mary felt, that Peter felt, that John felt. For them, he was gone, and with him all their hope, y'all. We said this on Good Friday, it just bears repeating. You can imagine on Good Friday, as if someone came to sort of like erase your memory What if, what if somebody could come into your home or to your head and take from you any memory or thought or belief or conviction about Jesus that you've ever had, and it was just gone? The memory of your baptism or the songs that you sing or the prayers you pray over people you love, your hope for a renewed and restored world, all of it gone. And all we are left with, I guess, It's just things as they are. What would that mean for you? And if you know deep down that for you, actually, little would change, then what I want to say to you is good news. Because Jesus has made himself visible, real, in the church through the power of his spirit today to announce himself to you, that you might know him, know his joy, know his peace, the goodness of his gospel, so that you might one day be terrified to lose it. You don't have to pretend. In fact, today is absolutely, in every respect, opposed to pretending. There's no pretending allowed today. Today we've come together to grapple with and deal with honest, real things, like resurrection, real bodies being really dead, and then being really raised again. That's serious business, powerful business, and you have to be honest to do it. Again, for Mary, you know, when she went to the tomb, I think the imagery in the story is vivid on purpose. There are the disciples racing one another, I guess somewhat predictably, having a race to the tomb. They tell Mary that he's gone. He's not there anymore. They rush off to tell the other disciples, and Mary is left weeping at the tomb. And I'm so struck by that. Um, this year in particular, as I was sitting with a text, because I think the older I get, the more familiar I become with the pain of grief, with what loss feels like. And if you've ever really lost somebody that you love, I mean really loved, and they were suddenly taken from you, then you know what it feels like to give anything just to see them again. Last year, at this time, there was a 21-year-old who I baptized who died suddenly walking in her neighborhood. She was hit by a car. And I went with her mother to see her for the last time. And I will never, ever, ever forget it as long as I live, and I will never read this chapter of the Bible without thinking of her. She didn't want to leave. She didn't want to go. And as we walked into the room to be with Shelby, if suddenly and mysteriously Shelby had not been there, if somebody had taken her, if she was gone, and her mother was robbed of her last time to see her and be with her, to hold her and pray with her over her, then that's something of what Mary felt when she got to the tomb and his body was gone. Because she thought she was going to get to hold him and see him and be with him, and then he wasn't there. That grief of loss, of having something ultimately precious taken from you, stolen away, is what the church grieves on Good Friday. Because then and only then can we begin to possibly imagine what it would feel like to be crying, grieving his loss, and then suddenly hear his voice. Mary. Whatever she felt, the joy of that moment, that is the joy of Easter. If you could bottle it up, you know? if we could pass it out. And God knows, I wish that I could. If I could just bottle it up and give it to you so that you could feel something of having the loss of Jesus restored to you, your hope restored to you, your life restored to you, power in his name and in his spirit restored to you. That's what we celebrate today. Gift of him. Similarly, Peter, we talked about this on Good Friday. I always think of him, you know. He just ran right in. Peter was dealing with so many awful things. He missed him this morning. But later on in John's Gospel, we'll read the story of Peter and the other disciples being out fishing and Jesus showing up on the shore. This will be the first time you understand that Peter's not had a chance to make it right with Jesus. The last thing Jesus heard him say was a denial, a betrayal. And then that morning on the shore, they look over, there's Jesus. And Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. And Peter, he jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore. So ecstatic and relieved was he to be able to just get to Jesus. And here's the thing that I love about that so very much is because if that were me, do you know what I would have done? I would have seen Jesus on the shore and I would have cowered in shame. Everybody else should go ahead, but I shouldn't go. Paralyzed by self-pity, a condemnation by the weight of everything. But what I love about Peter is that so great was his joy and his relief at seeing Jesus that it just erased everything else. Do you know what I'm saying to you? What a deliverance. That the joy of hearing the voice of Jesus, the joy of seeing him as he is in his glory would be big enough and powerful enough to erase even the sin of Peter's betrayal, y'all. And if it is big enough and glorious enough to erase Peter's betrayal, then what news, what gospel there is for me and you? Amen? That's salvation. To want something and love something so much that you forget yourself. What deliverance that is this day is Jesus standing before the church to say, let me be that for you, not just for Peter. I live. Me fill you with life and joy and peace. This resurrection life is not just something, of course, that happens to us when we die, although it is that. And it would be remiss not to, we would be remiss not to note it. When we talk about resurrection, we are talking about an actual fact, a historical one. It happened. Jesus was literally, physically, actually, totally dead. And then Jesus became literally, physically, actually alive again. And that fact is meant to scandalize you. If it doesn't trouble you, you're not thinking about it. To say that every week to be called to say, I believe in the resurrection. Is to put your hope, your faith in something that just you know, feels beyond us all. You know that. I'll never forget the first day of uh, my seminary theology class. I was so excited to be there. Ready. Take notes, you know nerd that I am, couldn't wait. Professor walks in and she says, I'm curious, how many of you believe in a historical resurrection? I've come from small town Arkansas. I am very thrilled to get to answer this question in the company of my brothers and sisters, all of whom are here to study the word of God, right? And be blessed and shaped in his likeness. Four of us raised our hand. Out of 30, I was stunned, confused even. And here's why I'm saying it to you. I love poetry, power, symbolism, metaphor. I love all of it as much as any person. But y'all, this is not mere poetry. It's not mere symbolism. That cannot save me. It can delight me. It can make me feel better. It can enlighten me even, but it cannot save me. It is only his actual death, his actual resurrection that saves me. And Paul says, if he has not been raised, then we are of all people most to be pitied. We have better things to do with our time. We should all go do other things, actually. But, Paul says, he has been raised. He has been raised. And therefore, what power there is, what life there is, what hope there is for the church. It's the source of our conviction. But you don't just have to wait for resurrection like after you die. It will happen for you after you die. The beauty of today is that resurrection life is because of the Holy Spirit available to us now. Death is a fact of life. We said that on Ash Wednesday. You will die. From dust you came to dust you will return. It's a fact. And death with a little d is also a part of our life. What I mean is there are a lot of ways to die before you're dead. Do you know what I'm saying? This resurrection life is in us a death-defying life. The Spirit of God is in you a death-defying force, meaning Deaths with little d's, like becoming consumed with anger, is one way to die before you're dead. To be consumed with greed, stuff things, is a way to die before you're dead. To be consumed with shame, so eaten up with it, so paralyzed by it that you can't live, is a way to die before you're dead. And what you need to hear me say is that who Jesus is for you now and forever, is a death-defying force in your life to raise you up, out and over those little deaths so they cannot hold you and cannot keep you. So on a day like today, you know, you get to imagine if the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Lazarus, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, says now to you, won't you come out Imagine the Lord saying to you, come out, take those grave clothes off of you, live, really live, let the life of God, the love of God show you the way, that's today, today we celebrate that hope which is ever real and ever present I don't care what you've done, and I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how hopeless you feel. He lives. And therefore, we have hope. And not just hope, a death-defying hope. It's powerful. I want to say this about resurrection just to make sure we are all clear here. I'm new. I came in June. Haven't had a lot of time to talk about resurrection. So I'm on the record this week. Here's what I believe about it. I believe you will die. I will die. And I will go to be with God. That's what Paul says. To die is to be with Jesus. To be with the Lord. And then at some point, some moment in time, however that works for God, I don't really know. Some mystery There will be a moment at which this world is renewed and restored and my body and your body is renewed and restored and we will, y'all, be raised and the world and all of creation will be raised and all things will be made new. That's Romans 8. All creation groans waiting for the redemption of the children of God. That's you and that's me. That's a fact. That will happen. And here's why that matters. is because you need to believe and I need to believe that we're eternal things. When I hear people say, as they often do on Easter in particular, that Easter is and resurrection is a kind of fairy tale that we tell ourselves because we're not brave enough or courageous enough to believe that death is real and to accept it, to accept the finality of it. The older I get and the more dying people I sit with, the more offended I become by that. Because it takes a great act of hubris to believe that in our wisdom and our intelligence, our sophistication, that we would know more than the mother who sits at the bedside of a dying child and refuses to accept that this will be the last time she sees him or her. Do you know what I'm saying? If you've ever lost somebody that you love and you have felt yourself refuse to accept it, that it cannot be, that it is not right, well, that's because it is not. Death is a thief and an invader. It is not natural. It's, we only say that because it happens. There are a lot of things that happen that ought not to happen in this world. Those dogwoods are forever. The sunrise is forever. The love we feel, the laughter we share, the songs we write and sing, they are forever. Death is not. It will be wrapped up in immortality. And cast as far as the east is from the west. There's wisdom in our grieving. Listen to it when you do. Let it tell you something. Let it teach you and instruct you. If you feel yourself shout out, it cannot be, it ought not to be, well then maybe that's because it isn't. We are eternal. We are forever. And here's why I love that. Because... Practically speaking, I may not get to see all of this great big wide world before I die. I probably won't. Good thing it's not going anywhere. Do you know what I'm saying? I promise you, mark my words, Lord, and all of you, there will be a day when from some mountaintop on the Alps somewhere, I will stand out and look out out over this world that God has made and I will rejoice and bless it and I will say thanks be to God. Christ is risen. He's made all things new and the world is ours. The art that you make. Songs we sing, they're eternal things. So live your life today. Make things today like you're going to have it Forever. Don't let death push you around and make you run around frantically like it's going to rob you of something or take something from you. Do you know what I'm saying? It cannot. It will not. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So we can be people of peace. We can have a long view, play a long game. This world is ours because it is His. He's been telling the story of resurrection for a long time. It was a Jewish hope before it was a Christian one. Jesus didn't invent resurrection. We didn't invent resurrection as Christians. The Jews have been talking about resurrection and hoping it for a very, very, very long time. It's there from the beginning of Genesis all the way through to Revelation. It's probably, for example, not an accident that the garden was the site or the location of humanity's greatest fall, our greatest shame and our greatest sin. In the garden, the Garden of Eden, where it all went south for us. It's therefore probably not a coincidence that God chose a garden to be the site and the location of humanity's greatest victory. God's greatest victory through a human in the resurrection of Jesus. Do you remember the story of Genesis 3? Whenever Adam and Eve sinned, They eat the apple, they realize they're naked, and they feel ashamed. They're embarrassed, humiliated, and so they go and run and hide, and God has to chase them down and call them back and cover them up, send them out again. What I love about John's version of the story is that um, John makes it a point to tell us that there was a moment in which Jesus opened his eyes, sat up, and shed those grave clothes. And he would have stood up in that tomb naked, And here's why I love that thought in particular. Because I like to think that when he did so, he looked his enemy dead in the eye and said, not this time. We don't run. We're not ashamed. We don't hide. This world is mine. I make all things new. Redemption stories, resurrection stories, that is the business of Jesus. So what that means for me and you is if that's the story of the gospel if the resurrection takes place at the site of like our greatest shame and disappointment, then what hope that is for you today, because what I believe that means is whenever I feel desperately ashamed or I feel cut off or separated, that that is exactly the place, the source of it, whatever it is, is the thing that Jesus wants to raise. That's where he wants to preach resurrection, I don't know what it is for you, but I do know that. He wants to preach resurrection there, in that place that you might live. So I would call you to do that. Practice resurrection, in the words of Wendell Berry, whatever that means for you, in yourself, in your own life, and in the world around you. We've got 50 days. So we're going to celebrate on purpose, feast on purpose because we are the people of God, and he lives. Amen.